I like this song in Christ alone. I like this song. I didn't write this song, so I can say that, and it doesn't sound like it. Sing about this song, first service, and I was thinking about it again, second service. That's the joy of being here, both services. Yeah, You get to think about them and then let them sink in. I, I got a hard head, so it takes me at least two services. And Back in the old church, we used to have three services. It took me even harder, to, longer to get things in my thick skull. I, I think this song, I could label the song, Why I'm a Christian. In Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone who took on flesh, fullness of God and helpless babe, the gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones he came to save. This is not only good theology, it rhymes, ladies and gentlemen. <clears throat> Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. There in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. Then, bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he arose again. And as he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me. For I am his, and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I'll stand. Oh, man. We should take another offering. That, <laughs> that is why, ladies and gentlemen, if you're new here uh, at Hope, if you're new to church at all, that's, a, that's, man, you just... That's theology 101. That's why Jesus came. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. <clears throat> and that, that's what it means to get satisfied in him alone. That's what it means to live in this life with no guilt. Because it's been paid for. The wrath of God was satisfied on the cross. That's what it means like no fear and death to come. Whew. Man, that is really something. That is totally free. I was not planning on saying that at all. You can just you pay for that. Now the stuff you got to pay for we have a guy staying at our house. His name, oh, wait, I forgot. I'm an advertisement today, too. I'm sorry. I am wearing a Hope Community sweatshirt. Not really an advertisement for a couple of reasons, one of which is we don't have any more of these, so forget that. But we are, uh, Carly, are you in this service? Carly, is she here or is she in first? She was in first. Is anybody going to be out there second service to pick up shirts or is that only in between? Somebody help me. It's bad to be an advertisement. <clears throat> okay. Um, uh, either in between services, which is meaningless to you now, but, or after this, there'll be people out there to pick up your sweatshirts or your shirts if you ordered them. Uh, since these are so cool and hip, we are looking at doing a reorder if you want like uh, some of these sweatshirts and whatever. So uh, you, I wore this today for that reason. Plus, I didn't know if the heat would be on today or not. I've been out of town, and so I just got back last night and wasn't sure if we'd have heat in here. But isn't it nice? Heat, what a thing. See, nobody's even thinking about the heat, right? Anybody thinking about heat? See, last week, yeah, there's one guy, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> last week, that's all he thought about was the lack of heat. This week, it's no big deal, right? Bunch of pansies we are. <laughs> now, there's a guy standing at our house. His name is Paul. Paul Seidel. 
Paul um, uh, was one of the first people to come to Hope Community Church. Uh, Paul, Paul came from a nominal church background. He went occasionally to church. Uh, decided to wander in uh, after the urging of some friends. Heard our band back in those days. The band is great now, uh, really. The band in those days. And this is no offense to the people who are doing it together. We had, uh, hmm, it was interesting. It was, uh, it was loud. Let me just put it that way. We were pushing 105 decibels. Just shake the rafters, but it was, how do, what's the right word? Bad. I think that's the word I'm looking for. Um, but it was loud, man. I mean, it, any, can I get an amen from anybody who was around the early? Bart was part of the band. Sorry, Bart. Yeah, but, but uh, it, it was not, yeah, it was, but it was loud. I mean, we really had that going for us. And Paul walked in and heard a band playing and thought, cool. I mean, that's, I mean, it's just loud. I guess he liked loud. So we, we, we had that crowd reached, I guess. <laughs> All six of them. They just liked loud, but not very good. Anyway, Paul hung around for a long time. He and I got to talking. And I remember distinctly, uh, I don't remember the date, but I remember distinctly in the middle of a service, uh, excuse me, at the end of a service, uh, we met. I was walking out, and it was in this aisle. We, the other church we were in on campus, there was a sim- similar situation, no center aisle. There was a right aisle. And we met right there, and uh, he said at that point, I want Jesus Christ to drive my car. I used an analogy about, is Christ even in your car? If he is, is he driving or is he in the back seat? And he said, I want Jesus to drive my car. And uh, Paul gave his life to Christ, and, uh, and, and since then he's been involved in ministry. He's helping start a church down in St. Louis, Missouri right now. He's, he's working at St. Louis University as a dorm mommy. At least that's what he was doing. Yeah, he was a door residence hall director. I like saying dorm mommy. He doesn't care for that a whole lot. But, and, uh, and so he's down in Missouri now, and actually he's coming back up here from time to time, stays for us for two weeks at a time, going to Bethel Seminary. He's originally from Wisconsin, but we, um, he's now in Missouri. <laughs> and, and Missouri, these are the license plates you have. That's not his car. I'm not that, not that fancy. You can see 98 there. But Missouri, those are the plates you'd have if you were from Missouri. You'd see they have numbers, which the people in Missouri are very unique. I guess not. We all do that. But they also have a little tagline. You see the tagline down there? Now, Minnesota, Minnesota, what's the tagline? 10,000 lakes, and then the small print, and six fish, right? Yeah. At um, least that's my experience. Uh, And the Wisconsin, what does it say? Home of a losing football team. What does it say again? I forgot. Oh, sorry. Yeah, Dairyland State or whatever. Yeah. So, uh, but Missouri says, show me state. Show me state. That's what it says on the license plate. Show me state. Like, what does that mean? Show me state. I mean, I understand, Illinois, land of Lincoln, I get it, right? Show me state, what's a show me state? So I had to look this up, and I went to their website, and look at the dude who originally said this, huh? Does he not look? (laughs) If I could grow me a mustache like that, in a heartbeat, I would grow a mustache like that. (laughs) He's actually smiling right now, you just don't know it. This is off their website. It says, the most widely known legend of where this phrase came from that made its way onto their license plate is attributed to a guy by the name of Willard Duncan Vanderveer, who served in the United States House of Representatives from 1897 to 1903. While a member of the U.S. House Committee on Naval Affairs, Vanderveer attended an 1899 naval banquet in Philadelphia. In his speech there, he declared, so he's this big fancy white tie or black tie thing, and they're having all these different presenters and everything, and here's what he says. I come from a state that raises corn, 
and cotton and cockleburs. What is a cockleburr? I don't know. But it raises them and Democrats. And frothy eloquence neither convinces me nor satisfies me. I am from Missouri. You have got to show me. I like this guy. I like this guy, right? He says, I don't want your frothy pansy speech. I want results, man. I want corn in the hoppers. I want cockleburs. Wherever you put cockleburs. <laughs> That's what I want. I want to see results. Show me. Show me the money, you know? That's this guy. That's Missouri. You're sitting there thinking, how in the world is, what is he talking, where is this going, huh? We're in a series right now on the Gospel of John. We've been in the Gospel of John for a little over a year. We'll be in the Gospel of John until the cockleburs come home. <laughs> we're right now in John, <laughs> uh, we're right now in John chapter 9. Uh, previously in John chapter 8 and John chapter 7 was a place, it was during the Feast of Tabernacles. And Jesus was in the temple courts in Jerusalem, and he starts making some statements that are making people angry. In John chapter 8, uh, from verse 12 on, we're calling, we called it conversation of the weird. It's this weird conversation between Jesus and his religious people, some of them religious rulers, who are, are, are arguing with him over different things. He makes some claims that he says that in John chapter 9, he's going to show me the cockleburs. He is going to do it. He's going to prove what he said in John chapter 7 and John chapter 8. So if anybody, anybody from Missouri? Anybody from Missouri here? Anybody? Congratulations on the Cardinals, by the way. I, I actually, I want the Tigers. I was, I was going to lie, but I better not do that. So, uh, yeah. But, yeah, congratulations on the Cardinals. Um, it was a great game. Gosh, it was a great game. What a catch by the New York Met guy. But then he loses anyway, so. Anyway, the... Uh, John chapter 9 is going to prove that John chapter 7 and 8, and especially the claims that he makes in John chapter 8, verse 12, we'll look at that in just a minute, is true. So we're going to go to John chapter 9 in just a moment. If you want to grab one of these, we should have the, them all restocked around. If you'd like one of those, they're yours to keep. So you can make the gospel of John near and dear to your heart, and we hope that you do. If you're brand new to us, we're in John chapter 9, which is on page 28 in this booklet. You could go to La La Land for a little bit. Everybody else is doing it. You can just have permission to do it and read the first eight chapters. You'd be right up with us. It's not a very complicated book. And then again, it's a very complicated book. But you get the basic gist of it by reading this. I would commend this to you. You can have one of these if you'd like to take it. If you have one or whatever, we'd, that'd be great. If you could leave it for the next person, that'd be fine. You could also grab an insert if you'd like. It shows all the verses we're going to use. Or you can just grab a Bible in front of you or if you brought one with you. Open it up. Did you? to John chapter 9. While we're going there, while you're flipping there, let me quote one other passage. What is going to happen in what we're going to see in John chapter 9, what's going to happen there is actually one of the major signs that Jesus Christ was who he claimed to be. Remember we said in John chapter 8, in, in I think it's verse 58, where Jesus says, before Abraham was born, I am. That is the strongest claim to divinity the strongest claim to divinity Jesus ever makes is this statement, John 8, is it 58? Help me out, somebody. John 8, 58, right? Yeah. Um, before Abraham was born, I am. Saying, the, the phrase, I am, goes back to Exodus. When, Exod, or when Moses, or God spoke to Moses and said that, uh, um, uh, tell them that I am has sent you. It's, it's, an, it's a name that God himself calls his own. So when Jesus says, before Abraham was born, I am. He's making a claim to divinity. In John chapter 9, he's going to prove that. 
John chapter 8 just says it. John chapter 9 is going to prove it. And here's where that comes from. It comes from a, 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 a situation happening in Matthew chapter 11 where John the Baptist, you remember we talked about this a few months ago, John the Baptist actually stumbles in his faith while he's in prison. John the Baptist is getting ready to die for his faith in who the Messiah is. And while he's there getting ready to die, he starts thinking, I don't know about this. Hold the phone here, baby. If, this, if you really aren't the Messiah, I ain't doing this. I ain't going to die. Hmm. And uh, in verse 2 of Matthew chapter 11, when John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? Ooh, John the Baptist said that. It's a major stumble in his faith. Are, are you really the guy? Are you the Messiah? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. And listen to the list. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. There's the list. These things are going to signal, according to the Old Testament in Isaiah and other places, that this is what's going to signal the Messiah coming. And look at number one on the list. The blind receive sight. That is not a neat parlor trick. The blind receive sight is something that when that happens, you will know Messiah has come. It's not a thing that just happens every day. It's not a trick you can do, you know, like they do on the TV thing when they have the person with the leg that's a little bit too long. And there it just grew. I mean, I don't know, maybe, you know, I don't know. But the, how do you, the blind sight? Wow. And that's what we're going to see today. We're going to see in all of, John, all of John chapter 9 is about this guy who's going to get his sight given to him and the reaction that people have to it. And it is cool. I just encourage you to, to read John chapter 9. I just, oh, it is very cool, especially in the life of the man who receives his sight. He, I really, I wish he had a name. Uh, I, I should name him. I, I, he's just a cool, cool man. So we're going to look at this remarkable healing of a man who was born blind. So let, let flip it open to John chapter 9. And we're going to look at the first, starting the first verse. It says, as he went along, <clears throat> as he went along, that's Jesus there. Remember, he just left him. He was, um, he was, in the temple courts, and he was just about ready to, to, he made some claims before Abraham was born, I am, and these people pick up stones, they're going to stone him with it, and he, it says he, he, he hid himself, he, he got away. Okay, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. Now, in typical John fashion, this phrase is hugely vague. This is real typical in John, though. John is not into telling you exactly next, like this happened the same day, or what, it's just as he went along. So it leaves us to wonder, does that mean as Jesus left the temple, or does that mean like a month later? I don't know. We don't know. Don't have, we, don't, we don't really know. John, the author, is saying, doesn't matter. That's not my point. As he's going along, he sees this guy. He must be a somewhat famous blind man or something, because he knows that he's blind, but not only is he blind, you can kind of figure that out by looking at somebody, but you can't tell that they're blind from birth. And it's just a well-known fact, we'll see that in a second, that this guy's blind from birth. Okay, so Jesus comes by this guy that's blind from birth. Now, he is walking with his disciples. And as he sees this guy, this guy's standing here. He's blind from birth. Um, and, and maybe he's got a cup and he's begging. We'll see that in just a second, that he was a beggar. That was his occupation. There's not a lot more you could do in that culture. 
If you were blind, that's about it. The Braille wasn't invented. There wasn't sight dogs. There wasn't anything. You pretty much were stuck to being a beggar. And so Jesus and his disciples are walking by. Now, Jesus and his disciples understand, or excuse me, Jesus' disciples understand who Jesus was. Why? Because they had read John chapter 7 and 8. Okay, but they did. They were there, and they understand who he was. They understand who he was. But they hadn't yet got his heart. Understand, they got the right theology, but they don't, have the right, they don't have the right heart yet. Here's how I know that. They walk by a guy who's blind. They're next to a man who they know can heal him because in other places in the gospel, you've seen Jesus give sight. And what they do is they ask a theological question. And actually a pretty good one. But it doesn't say, Jesus, why don't you first heal the guy? Then we'll ask our theological question. Nope, they're just doing a drive-by on this guy, right by him, and then asking a question about him. You see someone who's blind, he's begging, he doesn't look good, probably looks horrible, poor as all get out. He did have a home, we'll see that in a little bit, but he's not doing very well in life. And there's a question, there's an elephant in the room. You know what an elephant in the room means? It means this. It means there's literally an elephant in the room. <laughs> last week, last week when uh, the heat was out here, I leaned over the corner and I said, should I say anything about there being heat not in the room? It's like, uh, it's kind of an elephant in the room. Everybody knows this is here, but, you know, maybe we should say it. And so that's what that phrase means. There's an elephant in the room means. There's an, I, I couldn't find one with a bigger elephant. Actually, it's a really big elephant. Those are really tall people. Uh, but I, 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 it just means there's something huge going on. And the huge question when you walk by someone suffering like that or you encounter suffering people in your life is what? Why? That's exactly it. Why? Now, every one of you asks that question. I don't care how theologically astute you are. I ask that question. You ask, when something bad happens to you, the first thing out of your mouth, first thing in your brain is, what up? Why not? I don't want to point at anybody else, but <laughs> why not them? You know, why me? How come? What did I do? That's always in your mind. We've got this, this idea of God that, that he can't wait to squash you. There's, there's some element to God's justice that's true there, but there's others that's not. And so we have this mindset. The question that they ask him, his disciples asked him, John 9, 2, the elephant that's in the room is, Rabbi, which means teacher, saying, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Now, it's kind of an interesting question. They don't ask, why is this guy blind? They've already answered that question. Why is the guy blind? Because somebody sinned. All right? It's an interesting question. Jesus loves to play with people's interesting questions. We're going to see that in just a second. Rabbi, who sinned, the man or the man's parents, that he was born blind? Now, you've got to stop and do the math there for a second. How does someone sin in order to be born blind? Right, right? You're, you're, I'm thinking, you're thinking the same thing. Like, I mean, is it possible to sin in the womb? I know some of you moms that say, oh, yeah. <laughs> Get that kid soccer player out of me, you know, or whatever. I mean, I guess, but I'm, I'm thinking, how can that be? Or was it the parents? They did something, and it, mama or dad did something that transfers onto him, and it's punishment that they're born blind. Now, where did they get that concept from? It's actually somewhat of a biblical, somewhat. Hang tough with me now. It's somewhat of a biblical concept. Job's counselors, 
Speak to Job when terrible things. Remember, you remember why Job was, why these bad things happened to Job? Anybody? Yeah, because he was the number one righteous guy. That's why. That's why bad things happened to Job. The Job's counselors, who were not giving good advice, said this. Consider now, who, being innocent, has ever perished? Where were the upright ever destroyed? Now, it's not good advice, but it's, the concept is if you sin, something bad will happen. If you don't, it won't. Okay? John, Jesus is speaking, and, and Jesus somewhat gives this concept. Somewhat. Now, hang on with me. I'll, I'll give you the, the full remedy here in just a second. In John chapter 5, Jesus heals a man at the pool. Remember that? It says, the man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. First service, right when I said that, I was gave that little pause there, the lights flickered. I mean, the whole thing went down. Whoa. It was a little, whoa. Uh, Stop sinning or something worse may happen. So there is an idea that sin has consequences. When God is speaking to Moses in Exodus 34 and he's saying, I will declare my, my very name to, in front of you, he says, as he passed in front, that's God passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, Abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. So there is cyclical sin, there's no doubt. The problem, though, with that is, and the problem with the book of Job is, is there necessarily a one-to-one correlation between if you sin, then this will happen? The answer to that is no. That's all, over, that's all over the Bible. Read it in the Psalms, saying, wait a minute here now. God, what is the deal? I'm raising my family right. I give you a tenth of everything I have. I, 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 uh, I follow the Ten Commandments. I follow your rules. I worship you. And all this stuff happens to me. And this bozo over here, he's selling his kids off to slavery. He's got four or five lovers. He's uh, cheating everybody. And he's prospering. What gives? You see that all over the place. In the Bible, it's a common complaint. Is it a one-to-one correlation? If you sin, then something bad will happen to you. I remember as a young kid, I remember distinctly when I would do something that I knew was wrong. And then something would happen to me, like I'd stub my toe or something like that. I'd say, whoa, God, we're even. We're done. That's all you get. You get no more. (laughs) Now you laugh, but you do it too. You do it too, because you have this mentality that God is like a bank account. I did something in the debit, so now he did something to take that back, or even it's, it's good to go. And that is not a biblical concept. It's called the retribution principle, and it's not true. It's not always a one-to-one correlation, and it's clear here. Jesus replies, and he says, neither, John 9, 3, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Now, now don't quote... Don't quote that as a passage saying, aha, there's someone else who never sinned besides Jesus. Uh, no, 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 that's not what Jesus, he's saying it's not because their sin that this happened. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. This happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Now, 
I separated it out here on purpose. But this happened so that the work of God may be displayed in his life. I have, I, seriously, I have, I have commentaries on this, on the book of John about that thick on my office. And they, they all debate on that word, so that. It's one word in the Greek. It just means it can, mean, it can actually have two meanings, just like it can in English. The English works out exactly the way the original word does, so that. So that can have two things. One, purpose. This has the purpose of, but this happened with the purpose that the work of God, in other words, things were purposed, or the result. In other words, this happened, and the result is that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Those of you who are Calvinists, you like that God purposed everything. And so you like that the so that is a purpose thing. Those of you who are Arminian or lean more towards the free will aspect of things, you want the so that to be a result. I, I read both these things and I'm just going, I just don't see any difference between this. I, I think it's just words, right? Does it really make a whole lot of difference here? Because Jesus saying, this blind guy's blindness is going to be used of God and, and, and the result of the purpose is that God's glory will be displayed in him. I, I, I'm not seeing a whole lot of difference of how, how the interaction of how God works with all that. To the guy, what difference does it make to him? I mean, he's blind. He's blind his whole life, right? Until that very point. F.F. Bruce. Uh, you got to love somebody named F.F. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> If your, if your name was Frederick Frivey, you would go by FF2. So uh, this is an English guy, and uh, I don't know, he died probably in the 1960s. He's written a very good, my, my first commentary I ever read on the Gospel of John was written by this man. It's a very good commentary. He says this about this passage. He says, God overruled the disaster of the child's blindness so that when the child grew to manhood, he might, by recovering his sight, see the glory of God in the face of Christ and, other, and others, excuse me, seeing this work of God might turn to the true light of the world. See what, see what he's saying? That's really, a, you gotta stop and think about the blind guy for a minute. I assume he's a young adult at this point in time, at least, maybe, maybe he's middle-aged, who knows? He's went through his whole life being blind. He was the kid born blind. He'd never seen light at all. Everything was dark his whole life. And kids, if you don't know this by now, are vicious. Smack. Who hits a blind kid? <laughs> and, and teasing the poor kid all his life. Why? So that this moment, Christ could display his messiahship. That's pretty radical. You know what's also really radical? is the blind guy's reaction to this. When Jesus comes to heal him, he doesn't say, hey, 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 what about the 35 years before? He never says that. He just says, score. Get to see? Great. That's a godly attitude. I remember as a young follower of Christ, young follower of Christ, hearing an account, and I, I, I can't find this, so I just have to take my word for it, uh, but... This, this young woman, it was New Year's Day, and they were holding uh, over the, the, the New Year's, uh, you know, through the midnight hour, or the New Year's Eve into New Year's Day, they were having a prayer meeting. 
and dedicating themselves to the Lord for this new year. And I don't remember what the year was, but it was, it was a while back. And dedicating, they, dedicate, she, they were encouraged to dedicate everything that they have, everything that they own, everything that they are to the Lord and say, Lord, it's yours. And then she got the idea. She said, Lord, I just want to give you my body. I want to give you everything I have. I want to be yours this next year. And she, she prayed through giving him her fingers and hands. How can I use these to serve you? And, and, and you know, everything, right on down. And a, a few weeks later, she got hit by a car, and she lost one of her legs. And they went to the hospital to talk to this young woman, and they said, well, how are you, how are you doing with all this? And she replied and said, the Lord wanted one of his legs, and so they're his. I remember how that impacted me as a young follower of Christ, thinking, whoa, do I really think of God and letting him be that sovereign in my life that, God, if you want one of my legs, they're yours anyway, go ahead. Wow, I was impacted by that. And that's it, this guy. Why did this happen? Not because there's sin involved. Sure, it happened because we live in a sinful world. But you know what? God either caused or allowed this. It doesn't matter which one you want to put in your pipe and smoke. I don't care. It, whichever one that you come, and now it's going to be so that God can be dis, dis glorified. I don't know how you can see anything but a sovereign God in that. He did this. He allowed this to happen so that he can be made glorious at this very moment in history. And this guy's response will be, we'll see in the three or four weeks we're in John chapter 9, is, I get to be that guy. Look at the healing now. No, no, excuse me, excuse me. Uh, Jesus is going to continue on what he's saying here. He just got done saying this, the work of God may be displayed in his life. Verse 4, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. He's speaking about when he's going to leave. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. There's that phrase again. Here's what he's going to show me if you're from Missouri. Here it is. And that phrase, that whole concept of light is all throughout the Gospel of John. This is the fourth time we've seen it. The first time was in John chapter 1, verse 4, where the very introduction of the Gospel of John, it says, in him, that's in Christ, was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. John chapter 3. Jesus has a conversation with Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes up to Jesus and says, Teacher, you've got to be from God because no one could do the works that you're doing unless he was from God. And Jesus says... Unless you're born again, you won't enter the kingdom of God. I love that phrase. Jesus is just such a master teacher. Nicodemus is like, huh? And Jesus flips this whole conversation around to finally get to his main points down here. In verse 19, he says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Why do people not come to Christ? Simple. I don't want to be shown. I don't want light on me. It's the last thing I want. It'll show me how shameful I am. I don't want to see that. I want to be in the dark. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. And then we saw this in the claim in John chapter 8 where we were at the temple when he was arguing with the religious people. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will 
uh, will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He is now going to prove that. He said, here's the phrase again. Here's what I am going to show you. Here's the healing. John chapter 9, verse 6. Having said this, he spat on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it in the man's eyes. Now, I, I, gotta, I spent too much time looking at this, but a lot of people make a lot of that it was mud, and we came from the mud, and eh, it could be. I don't know. I, I, it could be. Could be. You, you can email me, core at hopecc.com. And <laughs> I, I'm not sure. I don't really buy that. I'm not sure. It, it, just, it just, but you got to kind of picture this, okay? This was a, the, 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 the early Easterns thought that, that spit had uh, some kind of power to it. So, I mean, there's, it's possible that too. But he, here's the way I see it. And you, you can, you know, like I say, core at hopecc if you don't think so. The, I think, here's this guy. Here's this guy. He's, he's there. He's blind. So, obviously, he doesn't see it coming by, right? You're walking by. Your disciples ask you a question. Did he sin or did the other one sin? No, not that. It's for the glory of God to be revealed. <laughs> Spits. <laughs> Makes the goopy stuff. Okay? Now, that, now think about that for a minute. Now just make this what it is. He says, he spat on the ground and made some mud with the saliva. This was not a... This was a... <laughs> right? You got to make mud out of it. Now remember, remember... You're over here, and you are blind. All you do is hear. <laughs> That's it. You hear and you feel, right? So guess what? I heard. It, it, the guy didn't ask to be healed. He doesn't say, Jesus, Jesus, heal me. They're not even talking about healing. Saying, why is he blind? So the glory of God can be revealed. Great. The next thing he hears is... <laughs> and the next thing he feels is globby goo in his eyes. Oh, what are you doing, man? That's what it says. I'm just, he spat on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it in the man's eyes. Then he says, go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Now, think about that again for a minute. This guy puts the mud in your eyes and says, go wash it off. Oh, you put it there. You wash it off. I mean, he says, go, go. Wash in the pool of the scent. And Jesus was sent. He sends this guy to the pool. Notice it doesn't say anything about the guy. The guy's like, score. Now again, we don't know exactly where this guy is. Because he just says, as he went along. I don't know. But it was probably some distance to the pool. If he was in the temple courts, it was considerable distance to go there. He's blind still. He doesn't, he doesn't see yet until he goes to the pool and wash. So he's got, to, he's got to trust Christ as he goes. He's not able to see anything. He's wandering around, doing the best he can to get to this place. He goes down and he washes. And now picture this. You've never seen anything before. You've never seen anything. And your eyes are wet. And you know, they kind of have that film on them. And all of a sudden you see. Oh. Can you imagine what that'd be like? I mean, you have never seen anything. I have, I have uh, I'm sure you've done this too, often wondered, you know, if you lose one of your senses, which one would it be, you know? I live with three boys, it would definitely be smell. Um, <laughs> love you guys, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but sight would be the last one I would, just to see something, to see my wife. To see, we were in Boston this last week, just to be able to see the history, uh, uh, to, to be 
in a church where George Whitfield preached, to, to uh, uh, see the sunset, it just words don't quite work that way. And this guy washes, opens his eyes, and it's like, that's what you all look like. That's what a tree looks like. That's what my hands look like. It's an awesome moment. And he went home, he came home seeing. Verse 8, how did his neighbors respond? His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? That's the only thing he could do. Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. Well then, how then were your eyes open, they demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. Isn't that great how he tells the story? He told me to go to, to Salome and wash. So I went and washed. And then I could see. Now you're going to fall in love with this guy. I've got to name him. I don't know. We've got to think of a name for this guy. But he's just great. He does not know anything. Listen, he doesn't even know anything about, this is the man they call Jesus, right? He didn't say, Jesus Christ, the Messiah has come. No, he doesn't say, this is the man they call Jesus did this. He's gonna, we're going to learn. This guy's going to be great. Read John chapter 9. It is, it is sweet what, 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 what this guy ends up learning through everything. He says, this guy, he did this to me, and I, I just, I can see. Where is he, they asked. He says, I don't know. I don't know. Now, let me close this morning with this great account. And really, it's, again, we're, the whole account goes all the way through the whole chapter, and I invite you to, to read it. We're going to be in it two or three more weeks. It's a great section of scripture. Let me close though asking two questions that I think, and there may be more that you can think of for you. But first question is, have you been shown? Right? Show me state. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Before Abraham was born, I am. John chapter 9, I'm the light of the world. Boom. I will show it. Messiah can make people see who couldn't physically see before. This isn't a metaphor here. I mean, it really is. The blind see. That's all a staging point, even in the blind guy's life. We're going to see later in the rest of the, in the, in this chapter that he gets to see with the eyes of his heart. He gets to see Christ as who he is. It's a beautiful section later on when Jesus and this man uh, have another interaction. For you, though, is it enough? Is this enough? Have you been shown? We might be saying, oh, of course I've been shown. Uh, really? Really for me? Is Jesus Christ really the light of your life? In any area of your life where there's darkness, where there's confusion, where there's wondering about your future, where there's maybe a sin in your life where you feel like it's gripping you, and even though the Bible says sin's grip has, lo or sin's grip has lost itself on me, I, don't, I, I, I no longer am under that, you just feel that way. In any of those areas, is Jesus really the light for you? I mean, I... I it's a gut check for me too. Is he really the light of your life? Is he really the next step you're going to take in the darkness because you trust in him alone? Is he really your everything? Or are you just kind of, you know, Jesus is a slice of the pie of my life. It's nice to have a little Jesus in there. Get a little, a little spice. Or is he the beacon of your life? John 9 says, I am the beacon of the world. Is he the beacon in your life? Does he have that prominence? 
Second question is, do you trust God like this blind guy did? I mean, are there things in your life that you would say, man, I just put that on my this sucks list, okay? This sucks. Da, 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 da. Or do you put that out the blind guy on this is an opportunity for the glory of God to be revealed list. I know it's a little long. You can abbreviate it. And you say, man, this is a hard one. God, what are you going to do here? Now, I've got to be honest with you. Jesus probably walked by a lot of other people who were blind. I, although I believe that this passage, along with many others, will say that God never wastes pain. God knows what he's doing. He's in control of all things. That some of you in this life, like the blind guy, will experience healing. Some of you will. I think God, he, I think God feel, heals physically. Does he do it one-to-one? -one? No. Ask the Apostle Paul. There's times where he doesn't. Why? Because for some reason it's either later he's going to let his glory be deliver, uh, delivered or, quite honestly, some of us in this room won't ever really understand why these things that are on that list are there until we're face-to-face -face with God. And it is going to make so much sense. You won't you think that's your first question? Dude, that won't even be on the questions anymore. It's like, oh, that makes total sense now. Are you trusting him that way? Do you have enough trust in the sovereignty of God over every molecule that he knows what he's doing in your life right now? That's a question I ask myself. Do I trust Jesus Christ and his sovereignty no matter what he brings? Those of you who are brand new to church, maybe this, like I say, it's some, some of you, we know hope. We love that people that don't go to church go to hope. We, we don't want people to come from other churches. There are a lot of great churches. We've got a whole bunch right here on this street. We're not trying to take people from other churches. That's, that's not how we want to do it. We want to attract people who don't go to church. And so you might be here this morning going, what in the world is he saying? And the rest of you just are agreeing with them and just you're a little politer about it. So you, you have an opportunity too. Court talked about that in the beginning. Wherever you're at in your journey, wherever you're at in your journey, and you might just be this morning saying, Jesus, who are you? Like this blind guy. You have an opportunity to step out and, and to learn more about Christ, to, to see him for who he is and say, Jesus, are you really the light of the world? All right, I want to start trusting you that way. Let's pray together as we close. <clears throat> Jesus, it is a privilege together to, to get time every week to look into your word. I love the book of John. It is a sweet book. And I just praise you that you allowed it to be written and that you knew that even when it was written 2,000 years ago or so, that we would have this morning to enjoy this passage of scripture. Of course, you had many other purposes too, but we just thank you for that. God, I want to thank you for this blind guy and the gift that you gave him, the gift of suffering and then the gift of healing. Lord, in this room right now, there are people going through suffering on a variety of levels. And it might be something physical. Uh, Lord, it might be something uh, emotional or relational. But Jesus, you can heal it. You can heal it right now. By your Holy Spirit, you could do that instantaneously. If you so desired and it's your will, God, we'd ask for it. Our desire, of course is always that your glory be delivered immediately. We'd love to see it. 
So Lord, if it would give you glory and our delight, we would ask that right in this service right now, you do your work of healing by your, the power of your spirit. Lord, for some of us, we are going to have to wait. And Lord God, the only thing we ask from you is an amazing gift to see you in spite of the suffering. God, that we, we just beg for. So I pray for that, God. You give a gift. Like you seem to have given this blind man that he didn't hold a grudge, that he was just excited. And I pray for that, Lord. Lord, I pray for also people in this room who for the first time are maybe seeing Christ and are being attracted to him as someone who could be their all in all, being the one who suffered for them, who could be someone who gives them, uh, takes away their guilt and gives them no fear in death. God, I just pray this morning that your hand would be upon everyone in this room, wherever we're at. God, help us to see that you are light of the world. We pray in Christ's name.